You are listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Visit us online at rolcf.org. This week's episode featuring Brandon Marshall. Well, that's a... that's more good things than most people say about me in like a month, man, right there in, in 10 minutes. I am excited to be here. Uh, as, as Frank mentioned, uh, Pastor John has been my pastor for several years now. His son actually took over the church where we're at now, and uh, his son is a, a very good friend of mine, and so we minister together there. I do the, uh, the young adult ministry, which is a college age uh, between 18 and like 25, sometimes 30. Uh, and uh, I also do the men's ministry, which is very exciting. We got a lot of good things going on in McKinney, Texas, and as you guys have a lot of good things going on here. So excited to be here this morning. And is it Durant or Durant? Durant. I like Durant. It makes me feel country. Uh, Durant, Oklahoma. I'm very excited to be here uh, speaking to you guys uh, this morning. Have met some lovely people. Uh, pretty much everybody I've met. I haven't met anybody so far that wasn't nice to me. So uh, hopefully that won't happen before I leave. Uh, and uh, so this morning I want to, uh, to bring to you a word that I feel like is going to help you. It's a, a very familiar passage of scripture in John chapter 20. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20 uh, right quick and, and we'll get into it. I, uh, over the past several months, have been um, thinking about the closeness of people. And bringing people together has, has all kinds of benefits. Bringing people together has uh, the benefit of knowing that person. And, and when you know someone, you're less likely to, be, to become offended by them or at them or, you know, because you understand that that's part of their personality. It also, uh, when you get to know people, it, it helps you to learn about yourself and become more accepting of who you are. Uh, because you realize that you don't all have to be the same and you don't have to fit a certain mold. And so just knowing people and reaching out to people, I encourage you to do that. Uh, the Bible is full of characters. The Bible is full of, of many different personalities, and yet they all make up the whole of what the Bible is. Uh, the people that you hear, read about in the Bible are not just characters that somebody made up out of the blue. These were actual people and actual events that took place. And so when you understand that, it gives you an insight uh, on the stories of the Bible. There are, uh, you know, Moses and Aaron and Abraham and all these guys and Peter, James and John. And so you look at all the different personalities and you kind of get a picture of, of uh, God's personality through the people that he operated in. And uh, I think of Peter, James and John now. Everywhere that Jesus went, just about, uh, the Bible says that there was with him James, Peter and John. These were like the big three disciples. These are the ones that were closest to Jesus. And James, you don't hear a lot about. James was kind of the one who, who was just kind of there and, 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 you know, he loved Jesus and Jesus loved him. And he was sort of the, the older brother of the other two. Uh, John is uh, famous for loving Jesus and just, the Bible says he would fall all over him and just hug him all the time and kiss on Jesus. And John had this real understanding of Jesus' love for him. And so as a result of Jesus' love for him, his, his, his passion was to love Jesus back. And it's an amazing thing that when you understand the love of God in your life, how it makes you want to be close to him. And this was, this was John. Now, Peter, I don't really know how to say this. Peter was a different character. Peter had uh, a foot and mouth disease. Peter had, uh, would say things uh, on the random just out of the blue all the time. I mean, sometimes he got it really right, and then other times... He got it really wrong. I mean, Peter was just this way. He was up one day, down the next. One day he's praising Jesus. The next day he's in the garden. He cut somebody's ear off. I mean, this is just how he was. And you, you had to believe that because John and James were with him all the time, that there were points 
in the ministry where they talked to Jesus and said, listen, uh, Jesus, I just want to say that Peter doesn't speak for the rest of us. Like, we don't agree always with what he said. You know what I mean? And, and, and uh, when Jesus walked off, they would say, Peter, I don't know, bro, how he hadn't already turned you into a frog. Like, I don't know. <laughs> how you're even still here but this is and everybody's got that one friend you know in their group they they're all, there's always that one buddy that you got that you love and you love to be around but you're not going to take him with you to meet the president i mean that's just not going to happen right be standing around talking to the rest of your friends like we're going to the white house today man and then peter walks up he's like what are you guys doing you're like uh, uh I, I, I don't want to tell him you know you don't want to tell him you say, Pastor Brandon, I don't have that friend in my group. Well, you're the friend. Like, you're the one. I don't know how else to say that. Uh, uh, you're, the, you're the one. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Are we loose yet? John chapter, John chapter 20 talks about a woman uh, named Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, the first time you read about her in the Bible, the Bible says that she was possessed with seven devils. She was a very afflicted, uh, afflicted person, and Jesus set her free. Now, this was the first encounter that she had with Jesus. He cast out the devils and completely changed this lady's life. And every other time you see her in the Bible, she's ministering to Jesus. She's bringing something to him, some kind of gift, and she's falling at, her, at his feet and just always forever grateful. And in John chapter 20 and verse 11, let's pick it up right there. It says... But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will go and take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Father, thank you for this next few minutes under your word, Lord. I thank you for the anointing to preach the incomparable gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. There is nothing quite like the word of God in our lives, and we thank you, Father, for the power of that word. Father, I thank you for the grace of speech now to paint vivid pictures of your greatness, Lord, that it would fall on the hearts of the listeners, Lord. And I thank you for the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus to rest upon your people today, Lord. Thank you for a life-changing word. Father, I've done everything that I can to prepare for this moment. So, Holy Spirit, my friend, I thank you that you do what I cannot. I thank you that you move up and down every aisle and in and out of every seat in this house, Lord, and minister to the people, minister to the hearers, Lord. Let it bring grace to their ears in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys mind if I take my jacket off? I feel like we know each other now. I was going to try to impress y'all, but it's all right. I just, I'm going to roll my sleeves up. Now, Mary Magdalene, the Bible says, this was uh, the first Easter Sunday, and the Bible says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, she got up and came to the tomb. Here she is again. She's coming to minister to the body of Jesus Christ, and when she gets there, this stone is rolled away. Now, this is not a little rock. This is not something that, uh, not like Little Rock, Arkansas. It's not, it's not a small stone that they put there. This was a humongous boulder that they placed there on purpose so that the disciples couldn't come and steal Jesus' body and then say, oh, look, he rose from the dead. So the, 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 the uh, authorities put this there and put guards around it so that it could not be moved. And yet when she showed up, this stone is gone. You guys know the story of, uh, of Easter. Uh, she shows up and she's just bitterly weeping. And, and the Bible says that she saw the angels and the angels said, why are you, why are you crying? 
One version of the story says that they said to her, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? What, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And she said, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Her immediate reaction was somebody must have stolen him. Now, she bought into the rhetoric. She understood that the rumors were flying around that this could possibly happen. You know, people talk in small towns, and I'm sure there weren't a ton of people back then in, in the little area where they were at. And so uh, people, uh, the rumor got around that somebody might steal Jesus. And so when she shows up at the tomb, what we consider a glorious moment, uh, because we know the truth and we know that he rose from the dead, at that moment she didn't have that understanding. She thought somebody stole him. And her reaction was just to weep bitterly and just to, uh, to, to say, they've taken him away. I don't know where they put him. You know, we live in a society today, a world where uh, over half of Americans, now this is uh, not actual, I don't know the actual percentage because I'm not that good at math, but I can tell you that the percentage was more than half of Americans who suffer from some kind of clinical depression or clinical anxiety. And so uh, the world's solution, because they don't have the answer, is to prescribe them something. You know, the doctor will say, well, I can give you something to ease the pain, but the truth is I don't have the answer, so I'll give you some Zoloft or some, some Xanax or whatever it is. And, and it puzzles me, why is the world crying? Why are we so upset? And the answer is because they've taken him away. They've taken away our Lord. They have removed him from everything that has to do with us. Now, when, when she thought that this man was stolen, she thought that Jesus was stolen. Her reaction was to weep bitterly and just to be so depressed. And the world would have you believe that they have the power to remove him from you because they've taken him out of the schools. They've taken him out of this and that. The truth is they don't have that kind of power. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor principalities, nor things of the past, things of the future, things living, dead, up, down, none of that has the power to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Galatians says, you have made him of none effect. You have canceled out what Jesus did. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. And this is how they have taken him away from us, by making it seem as if it's up to us to hold on to him. They have fallen from grace. They have removed, completely undid what Jesus did for us when they can convince you that it's up to you how you live your life. Or it's because of the things that you do. When you do well, you get good things. And a preacher will stand in the pulpit and say, if you love him enough, he'll love you back. Well, I beg to differ. The Bible says I love him because he first loved me. He started the love thing. It wasn't my idea to send his son. I didn't say, oh, uh, God, I got an idea. Why don't you send your son and then we'll make things right? That wasn't my idea. That was his idea. The Bible says because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you to be crucified and buried for you. This is the good news. This is the grace. This is the gospel. And when you believe something else, when you believe that it's because of the works that you do and the things that you do wrong or right that cause you to come to Jesus, Paul said, you've fallen from grace. You've made what he, you've totally canceled out everything that he did. They have taken him away. They have caused you to believe that it's about you. When the truth is, it's all about him. And Mary in this moment at the tomb, bitterly weeping, thinking that, they had stolen away her Lord. And the Bible says that she turned and she saw Jesus. As soon as she said those words, she saw Jesus. But she didn't know it was him. She thought it was the gardener. And he said, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? How must he have been dressed for her to think that he was the gardener? You ever think about that? 
Now, this is not a serious thought. This is not, I don't have some deep revelation on this. I'm just curious. How was he, how was he dressed? I mean, did he have a name tag that said Jesus and she thought it was Jesus? I mean, I don't, what, how was, you know, how was he dressed? She thought he was the gardener. He said, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She said, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will go and get him. And this is just a beautiful picture of the love for this woman, for her savior. Go, uh, tell me where, and I will go and get him. See, she was persuaded that she had lost him. And the thoughts, when you, when you begin to think that it's something that you did to cause your salvation to happen, you also start to think that it's something that you need to do to hold on to that salvation. As if salvation and, and what Jesus did for you is so fickle or so fragile that it can be lost at any moment. And so we continuously work and we beat ourselves up and we say, you know, I love him and I know how much I care about him. And so if I love him as much as I think I do, that I should be perfect, right? I shouldn't make those mistakes. And when I do make mistakes, uh, it's my fault and it must be a result of me not loving him enough. And this is the lie. This is the, the rhetoric and the rumor. The truth is he gave it all for you. You didn't let him down because you were never holding him up. He was holding you up. How can you let him down? You say, well, I, I just continue to do the wrong thing, and it must be a result of me not loving him enough. That's not true. He loves you, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. When God sees Jesus, all he sees is love. And when he sees you, all he sees is Jesus. That's it. It doesn't matter the things that you've done and the mistakes you've made. And the result of that will be just like John. When you have that understanding of his love, you'll want to love on him. You won't want to do those things anymore. You won't want to make mistakes and all that. But when you do, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, seated at the right hand of God who is constantly making intercession for me and you. This is our Jesus, and this is the Jesus that Mary loved. She said, they've taken him away. Sir, if you know where he is, tell me so I can go and get him. If you did this, I won't be angry with you. I won't tell anybody else. At this point, she's feeling a little bit of responsibility because after all, she should have been keeping a closer watch, right? I have no doubt that Mary came to the tomb every morning probably to minister to Jesus. And this one day when she shows up, he's gone. Now her mind didn't go to the glorious resurrection. Her mind went to, oh my goodness, what do I do now? And so she's in a moment here of vulnerability. She's in a moment of, of uh, uh, disrest and, and and anxiety here. She said, if you've taken him away, tell me. Tell me where, where you've laid him, and I will go and get him. I've lost him, and I don't know where to find him. Now, logic will tell you, um, if you've lost something, to go back to the place where you last saw it, right? You retrace your footsteps. Now, I lose things from time to time. I don't know if anybody in here is a, I don't want to say a loser, but a person who loses things. I, I, uh, I know, that's a horrible choice of words, but I, uh, I have a couch that eats my stuff. Anybody else have a couch like that? I moved some cushions the other day, and I found like seven socks that didn't belong together. And I was like, I, I've been looking for you guys the whole time, you know. You, you, you get some, some socks, and then suddenly you have a sock. You have like one. And so I have a couch that eats things. And then also I lay my watch and my, my wedding ring in a particular place all the time. And my son, who is six years old, uh, loves to play tricks on dad. And so he'll grab my stuff and move it. And I have to go and think about, okay, where's the last place I had it? I'll retrace my footsteps until I eventually find that thing that was lost. Now, you have to consider, what was the last time that Mary saw Jesus? Where's the last place she saw him? This thing that she lost. Where is the last place 
The Bible says that there was there at the cross, at the foot of the cross, Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was John, and there was Mary Magdalene. This was the last place that she identified with him in his death. And so naturally, there's this sadness when she comes and he's gone. I don't know where they've put him. If you know where I can find him, tell me. Because the last place that I met with him was at his death. And see, this is, this is society. This is what, what people will have you believe, that the only place that you can meet Jesus is at the cross. The Bible says that they said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why do you go back? Why do we continuously feel like we have to come to the altar every Sunday and give it all back to God? And uh, we have to be sorry. And this is how, this is the last place we met him. After all, this is the only encounter that some of us have ever had was the moment when he set us free. And so we continuously try to recreate that moment because we haven't learned yet to identify with his life. And so we constantly identify with his death. I grew up in a church where every Sunday, if you didn't come to the altar and bawl and squall and give it all back to God, you might not make it till Wednesday night. I really, I really did. And it was scary. It was sketchy. So we'd all be down there not even really understanding what we were doing. But I knew that I had to cry and be sorry for all the things that I've done, even as a small child. Otherwise, live or die. Who knows? I might not make it. I remember sleeping by my parents' bed outside the bedroom door because I thought I was going to miss the rapture. This is how they had me thinking that it was just so, so fickle that, it, you know, it could, you could slip away at any moment. So any little thing you do, you better run down there and beat your head up against the wall and cry and all that. And because that was the only encounter that I knew of him, and I constantly kept going back. Why, why do you do that? Why feel as if that's the only encounter that you can have with him? The Bible says that we now have a high priest in the heavenlies, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is our position now. He's no longer there. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not dead. Why seek you the living among the dead? He ain't here. He's risen. The Bible says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. This is our position now so that we can turn right around and go, Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your mercy. I'm not going to beat my head up against the wall because the truth is it's not me. It's not about me and the things that I've done wrong. It's all about you and what you pay for. And I'll have that. Thank you for your grace, Lord. And this is our position now. She wept. He said, who are you seeking? Who are we looking for? Are we looking in the right spot? Who are you seeking? The Bible says she thought that he was the gardener. So she said, sir, if you have done this, if you have any information concerning where he is, tell me and I will go. I will go every, anywhere that you tell me. The gardener, she didn't know it was Jesus. She was ready to take direction in her moment of desperation from anybody who might have had the answer. Can I tell you that there is a world full of people who are happy to accommodate you in your desperation. They are happy to steer you in whatever direction they want you to go when you lean to the run. Don't follow the gardener. Listen to me. Don't follow the gardener. The directions are clearly written. I had this friend named Jeff Turner uh, years ago, and Jeffrey was a big, tough guy. You know the type. He shaved his head because he thought he made him look mean and all this, and he's really a big teddy bear. Um, but, uh, and this is a bit embarrassing, but there was a moment in time in my life where I uh, worked out quite a bit, and I lifted weights and all that, and I was dating my wife now, a cute little brunette. You guys wouldn't even believe she belonged to me if you saw her. And you'd be like, how did he do that? I, believe me. Uh, she was gorgeous, and so I, uh, I felt like, I needed to get rid of uh, whatever body hair I had. Now, listen, don't, don't go preaching this. But, and so I bought this stuff called Nair. You guys ever seen Nair? 
Yeah, everybody's laughing because you already know this stuff. Like you put it on in the shower and you rinse it off and burn and stink and just nasty. And it came in a pink bottle. And I don't know why I ever bought anything in a pink bottle, but it, it happened. And so my buddy shows up at the house and he goes, what is that? I said, this is hair remover. He goes, you think it'll work on my head? And I looked at my other friend. I was like, it will absolutely work on your head <laughs> i'm about to get this dude and so i told him i said listen what you do now the directions say put it on there for 30 45 seconds and then rinse it off so i said listen you, you need to put a, a pretty thick coat on your head and leave it on there for 10 15 minutes <laughs> uh, about three days later jeffrey shows up and he is beating the door down like the federal police i mean just beating on the door and i look outside and it's like august the 15th it is the middle of summertime and this dude has on a toboggan so i already know something's wrong my buddy kevin said you better go hide i said i'm about to so i went to the bathroom i shut the door and i'm in there just cracking up well finally he lets jeff in the door and i peeked my head around and he yanked that toboggan off and his head was just bloody raw i'm talking about blistered up whelped up and all that now when the directions were on the bottle they were already clearly written why would he have followed me be careful who you take direction from <laughs> yeah i don't know how else to say it be careful who you take direction from don't follow the gardener the directions are clearly written right here in the book anything you need to know don't, in your moment of desperation, attach yourself to whoever has information, right? Whoever will gladly sell you a bottle of Miracle Working Water for $19.99 plus shipping and handling. I mean, if you bought that, don't, don't, I'm not coming against you. I'm just telling you, be careful. Be careful following billboards that tell you that the end of the world is going to be on May the 21st. Well, here it is, June now. So mm. I saw that billboard. I said, all right, I ought to be out of here by about the 15th. Come on, Jesus. Excited. You can't fool me. I already know. But there are those people in their desperation who will believe anything. I, it was such a sad story I read about people who cashed in their life savings and all this because of a misleading, because they're searching for something. Who are you seeking? What are you looking for? There are people who will lead you in the wrong direction. Do not follow the gardener. She said, sir, if you have any information concerning this, if you can help me at all, if you know, then I'll go ready to take directions from a man who she felt was tending the garden. An amazing thing. The Bible says that he said to her, Mary. That's all he said. She instantly recognized him. Now, this was not the first words that he had spoken to her. He said, who are you seeking? Why are you crying? Two full sentences the man said to her, and he couldn't recognize her. But something happened when he said my name. There was something about the way he said my name. I realized that this man knows me, that I'm familiar to him. She recognized him right off the bat. Can I tell you today that the Lord knows who you are? The Bible says that he knew Jeremiah while he was still in his mother's womb, that he knew him. He called him by name. He spoke things into his life. My wife, uh, as I mentioned earlier, or as, as Frank mentioned earlier, is pregnant uh, with our second child. And... Uh, she goes to bed about 8.30, you know, you know, pregnant, pregnant ladies. Very, she's very, very pregnant. And uh, the, she goes to bed about 8.30, and I'm a grown-up, so I'm just not going to do that. But I usually come to bed a little, you know, I'll follow up a little bit later. But I always go to the, the room, and I'll scratch her little head, and I'll make sure she's comfortable and all that. And I'll rub the belly a little bit, and I'll say, Avery, talking to my baby. That's my baby's name, little girl. Avery, and I rub it, and you can feel a little hand come up or something like that. And it's just a beautiful moment right there. 
Because I want her to know me when she comes out. I want her to know that when I say Avery, I'm talking to her. No confusion. I want her to know the voice of the Father. And so God knew Jeremiah. I could see him visiting the womb of his mother and talking to him, saying, Jeremiah, someday you'll be a prophet of God, and someday you'll do great things. I could see him, uh, because God is no respecter of person, if he knew Jeremiah, then he knew Frank. And he knew everything about Frank's life, and he would speak things into your life, and he would uh, visit your mother, and he would call you by name, and all the great things that you would ever do for God were established in that moment. And he would say, what's your name? Say again. He would say, Mandy. And he would rub the belly. He would talk to you, sweet daughter. And he, la-da-da-da. He put a song in your heart. I heard you singing a while ago. And I know that you want to do that. I heard the Lord tell me that. He said, don't be afraid. And he would visit you in that moment. He knew Mary. Something happened when she realized this man knows me. Something about the way he said my name. And it calmed all fears. Instantly she stopped crying. And the Bible says that she, she clung to him. Tried to cling to him. He said, no, 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 no. You can't touch me yet. I haven't been to the Father. No, 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 no. And he was pushing and kicking. And don't, don't touch me. Which gives me the impression that Mary was just desperately trying to reach him. Because when you understand the love that he has for you, when you understand that he has not forgotten your name, your reaction will be to cling to him. He saw you the whole time. The whole time you were crying, the whole time you were searching, he saw you. You didn't see him. You might not have seen him, but he saw you. A few years ago, my little brother, Caleb, who was supposed to come with me this morning, uh, but uh, apparently he... I don't know what he did, but he didn't get up this morning. So uh, he's, he's 22 years old, so he's still a little bit of a knucklehead. And uh, <laughs> he played uh, high school football in a place called Heiko, Texas. Now, Heiko, Texas, uh, some people have heard of and, and probably passed through on the way to a deer lease. Or uh, if you were trying to get to the middle of nowhere, you would probably have to go through Heiko. And so it was a small town, and uh, I used to go and watch him all the time. I loved to watch him play because he's quite a few years younger than I am. And my little sister was on the drill team. And so uh, they're both tall and slender and gorgeous. And then there's me. And so I'm like, what happened? And then my brother, my older brother is 5'8", so he's really confused. He's really thrown off. He don't know where he came from. But, and so I would go and watch him play football a lot. And this one particular time, they were playing a, a playoff game in Lancaster, Texas, which is not too far from my house. And so it was a lot closer. And so I loaded up my son and my wife. And my son at the time was about three years old. And uh, he was just kind of figuring out how to walk and, and uh, had been walking for about a year. So he's still kind of working it out, you know. And uh, I loaded him up and some friends of ours, David and Ray. Now, David is about six foot seven, about 340 pounds. David is a large individual. And so uh, during the middle of the game or, or toward the end of the game, uh, I, I started watching my son play. Now, Lancaster has a huge stadium. Uh, and in respect to the stadium, there weren't just a whole lot of people there. I mean, everybody from Heiko were there, but didn't even come close to filling up the stadium. So there was a little room to maneuver. And so I see Silas, my son, come walking down the stairs and just kind of, you know, still working it out. And I watch him, and uh, he starts getting a little bit further from me. 
and I give him a little freedom. You know, it's pretty safe around there. I, I, and he'll, he'll look back at me to see if I'm going to come and get him. And when I didn't, he just kind of kept on going. And so uh, it was right at the end of the game, and something had happened on the field, a, a, a big play, and everybody was cheering. And so I turned my head and my attention to the last play of the game. And when I turned back, he was gone. Couldn't see him anywhere. My little one-foot, nine-inch son was just disappeared. And now at this point, people are filing out of the stadium. The players are leaving the field, and I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, uh, not only am I not going to find him, but my wife is going to kill me. Lord, you got to help me. And so I told David, I said, David, go get the gate. And he knew exactly what to do. He stood right in front of the gate. Now, when David Salinas locked down the gate, the gate's locked. I mean, they, he, you ain't getting by him. And he was telling people, listen, I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize for the inconvenience, but nobody's going home until we find this baby. So we had a manhunt going on because people wanted to get home and they couldn't get past David. And so everybody in the stadium is looking for my son. And so after some time passed, I saw these two little eyes, these two, this pair of eyes sticking out from underneath the bleachers there. And uh, I saw him and I went over and grabbed him. And I, I felt... Uh, a lot of emotions in that moment, a sense of relief, a sense of uh, needing to be fatherly and scold him and all these things. But I kind of felt like it was my fault. After all, it was my responsibility uh, to be watching him. This is, the, this is the emotion that goes through when you've lost something in a, uh, tragically or you've lost uh, uh, something that you, should, you were responsible for. And so I pulled him over to me and I said, son, you scared me. I couldn't see you. And he looked up at me with his blue eyes and barely speaking the king's English and he said, I saw you. <laughs> you see, in his mind, he was never lost. He knew as long as he could see me, everything was going to be all right. Listen to me, you might not have seen him. There may be points in time where God seemed distant to you, but he saw you the whole time. And he still knows your name. He still knows you doesn't matter what's happened. Some time had passed here at the tomb between uh, the death of Jesus and the resurrection. There had been a few days. And Mary wanted to believe the truth. She wanted to believe that he was risen, but she could not get past all the rumors and all the things that people were saying to her. She couldn't get past it. But he still knew her name. God still knows you. He hasn't forgotten those things that he spoke to you in your mother's womb. He hasn't forgotten. The Bible says that the giftings and callings of God are without repentance. In other words, when he makes up his mind to bless you, he does not change his mind. Regardless of the things that you've done, the habits you've formed, the things that you've committed throughout your entire life, it doesn't matter. God's mind has not changed. So what will, what will cause the world to stop crying? What will end this endless search that we continue with when you recognize the risen Lord. The Bible says the moment she recognized him, everything changed. When you identify your life with his life, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. This is my life now, wrapped up in the life and the body of Jesus. You got to identify with his life. Stop searching. Stop going back there. He's not there anymore. Move forward. He provided for you this abundant life. The Bible says that he came to give life and that more abundantly. Abundant in your finances, abundant in your homes, abundant in peace in your heart. All these things, everything he has given you, the Bible says, richly, all things to enjoy. Identify with his life. Recognize in everything that you do the risen Lord. 
The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, recognize Him, and He will make your path straight. I thought about this verse. It gives the impression that, uh, that He will cause a path for you. That's not what it says. The Bible says that He will make your path straight. Did you know that God is concerned about the things that you want? He gives you the desires of your heart. So if that desire is in your heart, he placed it there. So when you start walking down a certain path, the Bible says he'll make your path straight. He'll cause that path to line up with whatever direction you're going. He's not yanking you to the road. He's yanking the road to line up with you. He directs your paths. This is the goodness of God. The Bible says she tried her best to get to him, tried to cling to him. And he said, don't. Go and tell my disciples everything's going to be okay. And in that moment, everything was fine. The moment she recognized him. Do you know that God loves you? God loves you. He loves everything about you. The Bible says, David said, he formed my inwardmost parts. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows the ins and outs of all the things concerning your health, concerning your body, concerning your peace. He knows all these things. He's able to fix whatever the problem is. He's able to re-knit your back to the way it's supposed to be. Whatever you have need of today, God has the answer. God has the answer, and he loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace toward us, Lord. Thank you for your thoughts toward us that are always good and always kind. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the price that you paid for all good things in our life. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and you say, you know what, Pastor Brandon, I just, I can't get over the things that I've done in my life. But I want to try today. I want to, I want to recognize him and the things that have happened uh, that he caused so that I could receive them in my life. I want to recognize that today. And I've got some things, I've got some, some issues that I need dealing with. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you by name. But if you let me see your hand, I want to pray a prayer today that's going to change your life. God is here, and you'll never be the same. Anybody in the building, anybody else, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. God loves you. God loves you. He never stopped looking at you. He's loved you the whole time. Father, thank you for these that have raised their hands. Lord, you are able to do all things. Your word says exceedingly and abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine. This is what you're able to do. So I thank you now, Father, for new revelation concerning you, Father. Thank you for new recognition. Thank you for calling them by name, Lord, in a way that they will know that it's you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the past is forgiven, that all things are made new, Lord, that Jesus Christ paid for our sins, that he died and was buried and rose again. And we thank you, Father, for the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that all things are paid for. So I speak peace into the lives of these people, Lord. I speak prosperity into their lives, Father. I thank you that all things, your word says, all things work together for the good of them who love you, Father. So the things that have been working against, Lord, the things that have caused anxiety or trouble, Lord, I thank you that you're turning them all around now, that all of it is starting to work together like a big machine for the good of your people. Thank you, Lord. And we don't have to be afraid. I love you and I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your prosperity. I'm asking you now, Father, to bless this house. Lord, all those under the sound of my voice right now, I thank you for increase in their lives in every area. Lord, over the coming weeks, months, or years, that they would know your goodness. Your word says, Father, that you bless the righteous 
and with favor you surround them as with the shield, Lord, so that everywhere they go, to their schools, their jobs, their homes, Father, favor goes before them and prepares their way so that they step into blessing at every turn. Your word says that you bless us in our laying down and our getting up, Father. You bless us coming in, bless us going out, and all, everything that our hand touches prospers. So I thank you now for causing that to come to pass in the lives of these people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, I love you. Thank you for having me today. I know that that was short, and I, we're going to get out of here early, and, and uh, we'll be able to go get some barbecue at Ben's Barbecue. That's a, that's a, a, a cheap commercial. Uh, you probably need a better spoke person than me, but uh, I, I love you. Thank you uh, again for having me, and I hope this has blessed your life, and I hope that, uh, amen. Thank you.